On today's menu, we have uh, paintings on walls that then go into the blockchain. We have YouTube, which, as you know, is pretty much into the video business. And we're going to be talking about whether they get into some other kind of business. And we also have a Braidling watch, which is uh, about to do something really, really special. So that's it. Hope you like it. Go for it. Welcome to Marketing Meets Web3, the podcast where we share news and ideas about Web3. Today's conversation is for information purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Hello, Nick. How are you doing? Hi, Alberto. I'm great. I am uh, about halfway through my morning latte, so I'm caffeinated and I'm ready to talk about the news. That is uh, very good. I've had only two coffees today. Uh, I have to say I am way ahead of you because, uh, yeah, over here, I think it's 5 p.m. So, yeah, right on time for my evening news and for your morning news. <laughs> I, I don't recommend coffee at 5 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it, it is going to happen again, I think. But, yeah, let's, let's start with the news. We have a few things to cover today. The first one is about a Memphis mural. I like uh, Memphis. I know Memphis because of Pau Gasol, basically. And um, in Memphis now, there is this mural with um, a painting. Well, the mural is the painting, of course, with some NFTs on it. And uh, what is interesting about this NFT in this particular mural in uh, Memphis is that it is charged, charged in a way, with a fungible token that gives you a yield. So, okay, the crazy thing here is that you could actually take a... Uh, bearing um, an asset bearing um, um, sorry a, a, an interest bearing asset and have this asset embedded in an nft it could be i don't know like a pencil and then this pencil will be earning an interest for you and um, the whole idea behind this uh, nft being in this mural is that of course the interest coming from this um, asset uh, from this asset is going to be uh, donated to charity so it is a very interesting um, piece of news which is a bit uh, dated today but not dated in the sense that this uh, interest uh, bearing asset is going to be yielding interest hopefully for quite some time so this is going to be i guess uh, current news forever what do you think Okay, so let me break this down. Yeah, and so just just for listeners, so yeah, this this article dropped. Uh, whenever this episode is released, this article dropped uh, maybe a, about a year ago. But we we wanted to bring this into the news because it's an interesting concept, um, and I think it's it's got some promise in terms of how we think about NFTs as ways to generate revenue for social good. Um, so let me let me play this back to you, Alberto, because I want to make sure I understand it. So there's a mural on a building in memphis as i understand it and what they've done is they've captured that mural and turned it into an nft that nft then they've embedded a hundred thousand dollars worth of usdc which is uh, us digital dollars essentially and they've done that through this uh protocol card called charge protocols okay so they've got an nft they've packed it full of a hundred thousand dollars but that hundred thousand dollars now they've invested because it's a digital asset it's a token they've invested that through a platform that generates interest. And I think they're using Aave, they mentioned, which is a, a DeFi or decentralized finance platform. And so that $100,000 is generating interest as any sort of investment might. 
And then that interest is being directed towards a charity. And so in this case, it looks like they, they chose St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital um, through a, a charity distribution uh, service called the Giving Block. So they're taking that interest and through the Giving Block, they're funneling it to St. Jude's. I don't know about you, but that seems like a really, really cool use case for using digital assets and NFTs in a way that can create just ongoing value for any kind of community. Um, I think this is a really interesting way to show how you can involve your community in uh, the benefit from digital assets and using NFT as a NFTs as a vehicle for that. I think there's another piece here, um, which the NFT now, uh, so people can go see the wall in person. They can see the mural. There's a QR code on it and people can actually take a picture of that QR code and generate what's called a POAP. Now, a POAP is a proof of attendance uh, NFT. So it's basically an NFT that you get because you were there or you saw something. And basically, anybody who has that NFT then can actually help or, or can vote on where the, the interest from that $100,000 gets directed in the future. So if they decide they want to support an additional charity or change the way they're distributing those funds to charities, it can become... A community activity. So I think that's that's really really interesting. Right. Yeah. So three things I want to touch on. Hopefully, I won't forget any of them. The first one, or the first thing I wanted to say is that you played that back to me in a much better way, in which I played it forward to you. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we learn by teaching. <laughs> that was that was quite an exercise. I got very excited when uh, explaining this uh, this piece of news and. Maybe I got the excitement, take the better part of me. Uh, because, uh, yeah, I, I do love these um, systems where you see how the Legos play out in the blockchain. Because uh, in here you have an NFT connected to a digital dollar connected to a platform where you can actually deposit these dollars. And these dollars can then be lent out. And uh, of course, when you lend out money, they usually pay you an interest. And then this interest is uh, then used, used, as you said, to, well, in this case, be donated to this charity. But it could be actually donated or uh, or given to a different uh, platform based on how people vote <laughs> on uh, how this uh, is going to be distributed. So we see five different things or five different actions all connected through the blockchain. And... Um, all happening sim sim seamlessly and uh, in, in a way that I think if you wanted to replicate in the traditional world, it would take, uh, I don't know, a lot of uh, loops to be to be accomplished. So I, I, yeah. this is what I like. And um, it's been, uh, it's been uh, as you said, it's been a year since this happened. And I guess maybe the reason for, for this to be the case is that back a year ago, 2021, 2022, this... Um, these uh, assets giving you an interest rate were quite the rate. And I guess um, maybe we are not seeing that uh, so so much as, as we saw back then. We do see uh, fungible tokens that give you a yield, but um, maybe not uh, not as um, yeah as uh, as big or as interesting as, as it was before. So yeah, I don't know if uh, this will ever come back in. Uh, in, uh, in such uh, a strong, uh, uh, with such a strength as in the past, but I, it's definitely something that I that I love seeing because it's uh, one of the best demonstrations of how these Lego blocks work out in the in the blockchain. 
Yeah. And, and I don't know that, uh, you know, obviously in a bull market, when you're able to generate outsized returns on an investment, you know, everything is generally more interesting <laughs> if it's related to finance. And, you know, we're, we're in a bear market, both crypto and the macro is not looking great. Um, but I think what's interesting about this for me is this is a pattern. This is an example of uh, a way that you can connect these assets, like you're saying, the Lego blocks. Um, and this is a repeatable pattern, right? So you can imagine that this could be adopted by municipalities. This could be adopted by states, by nations. This could be adopted by organizations and brands who are involved with uh, charitable organizations um, and really any, any cause that they wish to support through an interest-bearing asset. Uh, you know, this is a way to connect the dots between these digital assets. You know, I, I, my mind even goes to something like a park bench, right? So we've all been to a park and you see that there's a little plaque on it. And, there, you know, somebody donated a few thousand dollars to put a park bench into a park because they wanted that to be enjoyed by the public. Well, in addition to being utility, something to sit on, something to enjoy the view on, why couldn't that, you know, also be tokenized somehow, like we've just seen with this Memphis mural? and also generate interest, right? So it's a, it's a repeatable pattern. And that interest obviously would go back to the, the charity or, or the, the city or whatever it's supporting. But I think it's a pattern that we can look at and say, hmm, there's something much more interesting about these digital assets and the composability of these assets when we start to think about multiplayer situations, right? When you have you know the three and four stakeholders that you're supporting and you're aligning interests with these digital assets, I think it gets really, really interesting. So whether or not this uh, comes back the same way, I do think that we'll continue to see experimentation that blends these ideas in a way that is net positive for everybody involved. Yeah, and uh, hopefully when this time comes, these kinds of stories will be picked up by by the media, by the traditional traditional media. However, I think for, for now, this is um, traditional media being um, somewhat replaced by the um, quickness, I guess, of uh, alternative media. And I think uh, the best uh, alternative media to traditional news, we could argue, is uh, YouTube. And um, YouTube is um, also getting a very interesting time these days. Wouldn't you agree? I would. Yeah. So YouTube just announced. Um, so their previous CEO stepped down. Um, Susan, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I'm going to butcher Wajiki. Susan Wojcicki. Yes. <laughs> she recently stepped down. Um, she's She's been the CEO for a long time, um, has obviously driven YouTube to great success. Um, but the new incoming CEO, his name is Neil Mohan, um, is Web3 friendly as, as he's kind of self, self-appointing himself. But um he sees NFTs as an important tool for the platform's future and is emphasizing NFTs as you know a new avenue for content creators to develop things like additional revenue streams. And so what's interesting about this, and I think very relevant to what's happening in the NFT world, is that you know, content creation is probably the fastest growing avenue. Um, that, that we see in terms of, you know, creating new business opportunities, especially for smaller brands. Um, you look at somebody like Mr. Beast uh, on YouTube, he was recently offered a billion dollars for his YouTube channel, uh, which I believe he turned down. Um, and so, you know, and he's, he's building this empire based on YouTube. I mean, this person's been YouTubing since I think he was nine years old or something, uh, you know, very early days. And he's turned this into an empire. The thing is, is that he's built this entire empire on YouTube, right? So it's primarily his YouTube channel. Of course, he's, you know, in other media as that 
those new channels arise. Um, but I think, you know, appointing this new Web3 friendly executive, YouTube, that is, um, has the potential to start blending these ideas of how do you take content creation and how do you take this idea of tokenization and ownership of content as digital items and start to create these new kinds of experiences, new features. These could be things like uh, content that's going to be metaverse friendly or content that can be easily taken from network to network so that uh, creators and audiences have more choice in the platforms that they're using to connect. Um, so what are your thoughts on this? Right. I think uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand a bit on the, on the Mr. Beast part because, uh, yeah, we've, we've seen this uh, also with um, Joe Rogan, who sold his, uh, his uh, yep. channel to Spotify. I think it was uh, 100 million only <laughs> compared to Mr. Beast. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> still, you know, uh, it's, uh, I think it shows that these, um, these content creators are becoming, I think, a sector or an industry of themselves. It's not, it's not, I think just, just a channel or, or a show. Of course, there's, there's been like very big shows in the past, but now we're talking about a person behind a brand and uh, these brands are making revenue that is uh, very comparable to big companies. Right. And, um, I, I read recently that, well, we've seen most of the um, media platforms already, you know, uh, being taken. We have YouTube, we have Instagram, we have TikTok, we have uh, Twitter. So we have all the ways to distribute uh, media uh, already, already worked out, let's say. But uh, there is the, the content creator part. And the content creator part may be, according to this, to this source that I was reading, may be the next thing or it may, it may become... A, a sector of themselves. When we talk about tech being uh, the the big sector of the 2010s or the 20s, uh, he, this person was arguing that content creators could be the um, the big sector of uh, 2030s. And um, I don't disagree. Of course, we, we will see. But um, I think these um, these um, moves by by Joe Rogan, this um, offer to Mr. Beast, I think they show that there is, there is value here. And uh, the fact that Web3 can help these content creators to monetize and to connect to their communities in a way that uh, brings more value to both communities and creators could be interesting. And uh, this may be, I guess, the reason why after nine years, you know, they're replacing Susan with uh, this other person who is... Uh, coming with these ideas, uh, with these open ideas uh, for NFTs and, and Web3 in general. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's the very um, the optimistic view. I think there's there's a flip side to this too, which is, you know, YouTube is a business, a very successful business, and they're, they didn't get that way uh, by happenstance. Uh, they've, they've got obviously a great strategy that they've uh, been following to make the progress they've made. And so I do see that you know, bringing somebody in who is open-minded to Web3, um, it's definitely, you know, it's optimistic, but it's also, I, th I think, from their perspective, defensive. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a defensive move, right? So they're, because in some situations, this idea of moving content towards a tokenized future is at odds with the business model between many of these platforms or behind these platforms. So, you know, platforms typically make money because they control the content. They essentially own the content. You don't own your content. 
Um, and then they monetize that content through things like advertisements. And so, you know, as you build engagement with an audience, you are building an advertising pool that they then sell those eyeballs and they sell those impressions and that engagement and they take a slice of that. And so in some ways, I see this as a way for YouTube to start positioning itself for the future. Um, I actually think that's a positive thing because it, to me, it says, look, if one of the biggest platforms in the world is looking at this future and saying, we need to figure out where we fit in the future. You know, maybe we're not going to own all of the content. Maybe we need to open that door. And this is going to be more of a collaboration with creators. Uh, at the end of the day, though, you know, we have to survive as a business. And we know that we do add value. You know, it's it's the creators bring the content, but I, I don't want to downplay the value that YouTube as a platform brings to the table, right? The amount of technology and scalability that they bring that allows us to stream literally <laughs> hundreds of millions of hours of video every month. Um, I, I don't even know what that number is. It's got to be massive. But, you know, th there's real value there. And so I think rather than saying it has to be one or the other, you know, we have to have a totally tokenized future without any kind of middlemen, or we have to be entirely centralized on these platforms. I want to see a world that blends both, right? I want to see a world that recognizes each party at, you know, for their own, for their own strengths and says, you know what, you're a content creator, you own your content, you should be compensated for that. And you should have choice to be able to move your content to the platform that best supports you. And we as a platform creator, you know, our, our special sauce, the value that we bring is making sure that your content is highlighted and distributed and is the best possible consumption experience that your audience can have. So, and those are things that content creators aren't going to build, right? You know, it, it would be, I think, a mistake for content to creator, content creators to shift and try to create the next best YouTube. That's not what they're good at, right? <laughs> Mr. Beast is great at content. He's not great at technology. And so I think, you know, there's, there's a world where we see kind of a happy medium between the two. Would you say that this in a way is, um, kind of similar to the piece of news that we covered in the last episode with about Coinbase creating their own blockchain. Uh, would you see similarities here with this kind of move? Uh, potentially, yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, you know, I think within that, there's this idea that in a multiplayer system, each player has to find their lane and figure out which, which piece of the value they're bringing to the table. Um, because let's face it, when it comes to Uh, streaming content to hundreds of millions of people, it takes a lot of moving parts. And so this is, I think, a way to start saying, okay, YouTube does the technology, creators do the content, the audience is invested in both because they're experiencing the content on a great platform, but they're also you know, very uh, loyal to the content coming from a particular creator. So let's make sure that they can be rewarded for that. So it's a way, I think, to start balancing things in the future, which I'm happy to see. Hmm. Interesting. But uh, I think we should get moving to the latest uh, piece of news today because time is running out. And I know that because we're going to be talking watches and uh, not any kind of watch, but uh, actually a very expensive one. I'm talking about a Breitling watch that is going to come with um, a fully traceable uh, capability coming thanks to the blockchain and uh, its um, features of, uh, well, basically allowing you to keep in track to keep track of uh, the movement of uh, little parts in this case as little as uh, small diamonds and um, carats of uh, gold so yeah the idea here is that Bridling is creating 
well, a luxury watch, which is what they do, but they are upping it up a little bit with uh, the capability of um, keeping track of where all of these uh, expensive materials are coming from. So you know when you are wearing that watch and looking at, at the time that this watch was actually created with um, diamonds or gold that is coming from a safe place, so to speak. And we can expand on this. What do you think? Yeah, so this is an idea. I think this has been an idea percolating for a long time, um, probably since the you know beginning of thinking about blockchains as um, these open and smart ledgers. I, I've seen you know countless ideas and attempts from companies trying to create traceability and you know uh, provenance for the consumer, so they understand where things are coming from, whether that's food supply chain, the luxury goods supply chain, the energy supply chain. Um, so this is a really, you know, it, it's another attempt. And I think what it's really going to come down to here is what is the experience for the consumer? And does that experience align with the consumer's uh, ideas and intentions? So, you know, we're moving towards a world where hopefully as consumers, and I think a lot of this we're seeing in younger generations too. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're, dealing as a, as a society, we're dealing with things like climate change. We're dealing with, uh, you know, scarce resources. And it's this idea that we want to be able to make more conscious purchasing decisions. We want to be able to make sure that the things that we buy are not uh, having a negative impact on the world or having as little impact on the world as possible. Um, and so, you know, if this experience allows the watch buyer, assuming that they care about these things, if it allows the watch buyer to actually engage with the origins of the watch in a meaningful way, and that makes the watch buyer feel better about their purchase, then I think it's going to reinforce, you know, the purchasing behavior, right? It's going to reinforce the impression of Breitling as a brand that cares about a sustainable future. And I think that's going to be a net positive thing, both for the consumer, for the company and for, for the environment. So, um, you know, I'm long-term bullish on this idea. Again, I think it all comes down to, is the experience right for the consumer? Does the consumer care enough? Um, and are you helping them connect the dots in a way that they can meaningfully trace to their purchasing behavior? I like that uh, it's uh, it's bringing, I guess, a new word into the buzzword of uh, life, I guess. And it could be the blockchain of things. I think this compares to the internet of things, which was um, a big thing before blockchain i think if we look at it in order it was internet of things blockchain um and now it's artificial intelligence i guess but uh but yeah i think internet of things was uh well a thing but back then but i i don't i don't listen or see internet of things so much these days and um i wonder if uh, the blockchain of things will be bringing more value to this idea and then finally catapulting this uh, internet of things to a place where it can actually you know become a part of uh, of the things that we that we have in our lives the we, the things we we use or the things we have in our in our houses like i think this reminds me a bit to that um, piece of news we covered about um, the ikea chair i don't know right. what do you think about uh, the blockchain of things <laughs> Um, I think, you know, maybe maybe that's the fun new buzzword that will start showing up. I think at the end of the day, though, it's it's less about the buzzword and it's more about the um, the impact of having a world where everything that we purchase can be traced and can be accounted for. Um, 
you know, that if you look around your world today, as I look around my office and I think about all the things and where they came from, it's a little bit overwhelming to imagine that I would be able to figure out, you know, at a moment's notice where something came from. But it's also uh, because we're just not there yet in terms of connectivity. We're not there yet in terms of the endpoints. You know, one thing with traceability is that you have to make sure that every every point in the chain of custody has a way to connect to the ledger, right? So whether that's from mining raw resources in the ground to putting the finished watch in a box, whoever is part of that chain of custody has to be able to contribute meaningfully to the provenance of the good. And that's not an easy undertaking. It requires connectivity. It requires technology. It requires training. And, you know, behind that, there's also resources. So there's, there's the question of where's where's the money going to come from to support those kinds of activities. But as we start see, seeing things like AI that empowers new ways to make the internet more efficient, and as we start seeing better connectivity all over the world, and as smart devices get cheaper, faster, smaller, et cetera, um, I think we are going to start to see this really come into focus. And that idea that you could actually trace every good in your life to its origins and understand the journey that it went through to come into your world um, is actually, you know, a possibility. I don't think it's, you know, near term. I think this is probably a, you know, a 20 or 30 year vision, but that could be a very interesting world to live in. And I think it would meaningfully change the way that we as consumers uh, buy things, purchase things, throw things away. Um, and back to the Ikea concept, like it would probably help us take better care of the things that we have when we know the total impact on our world. Yeah, I like the optimistic note that you that you gave in there, and uh, I I do think that yes, as, as you said, that w we could be getting to this world. Um, I think I think yeah, maybe in a decade or two, because I mean the fact that as the article says, we are talking about better gold and better diamonds already tells me that we are in a society which um, I mean has been able to create quite a lot of wealth, right? I mean, I don't think that in the past people would be wondering or, or worrying about uh, whether the gold was good or it could be better <laughs> or whether a diamond could be good or it could be better. I think uh, having the diamond or having the gold was already, you know, uh, a big deal by itself. So I think that we are um, growing, um, advancing as a, as a society and as a civilization. And uh, yeah, we may well see... Uh, soon enough, a world in where we can trace everything and then allow the user to, well, care about this or, or not care about this. But at least I think that option will be, will hopefully be open to uh, as many people as possible. Well said. And having said that, I think uh, we can close it here for today. I think we've covered quite a few interesting pieces of news and we don't have a uh, deep dive today. So this will be it. Thanks for listening to Marketing Meets Web3. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can find our host, Nick Casares, on Twitter at N-I-C-K-C-A-S-A-R-E-S. -E